This message this morning is titled, Build Up One Another. If you don't know, there have been many different people that have left the church. They have left the church for various reasons. When I say church, I'm talking just Christianity, the church at large. Many different people um, are leaving the church. There are various reasons. One reason from talking with people is because um, there's some type of church hurt that they've experienced. If we want to be honest, we could say that the church hasn't done things right all the time. The church has, has hurt people, sadly. One of, those, one of those ways is there have been spiritual leaders that have abused their power, that have abused their authority, and they've had some level of spiritual abuse that has hurt and harmed other brothers and sisters. So maybe this leader is domineering. Maybe this leader is, is a tyrant of some sort. Maybe this leader is, 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 is arrogant, dismissive. Some of you probably can think of some leaders that fit this category. But that's one reason that some people have left the church and have experienced some level of church hurt. Another reason or example is because of slanderous gossip. There are people that talk about each other in ways that are not uplifting, in ways that's not encouraging. In fact, in ways that destroys a community and doesn't encourage a community. Another reason that people have left the church and have experienced church hurt, because some churches in America have showed their allegiance to one political party versus the kingdom of God. Some churches have made a point to say, this is the Christian party that you need to be a part of in order to be a follower of Jesus. And sometimes that can be very confusing. And some people have seen how, yeah, some churches don't look at themselves as citizens of the kingdom first and foremost, but they see themselves as citizens of another party. For some people, They've been hurt by the church because of that. I can go on and on and on of different reasons of why people have felt hurt by by the church. But I'll say this. To those that have not given up on Jesus and have not given up on his imperfect people, if you're searching for a church home, if you are on a spiritual journey, if you are looking for belonging with a church family. One characteristic that I would say that you need to look for is the characteristic of, does the church build up one another? Does the church look uh, as, a, as, a, as a family that's going to support, that's going to encourage, and that's going to build one another up? That's one characteristic I think that you can look at. 
And there's different ways that I think that the Bible talks about this and that we can do this. And I think Romans 15 is a good Bible passage that will help us think through this. So our passage this morning shows us how we need to pursue unity and to please others and not merely please ourselves. Verses 1 and 2 really gives us this glimpse here. And if we want to be totally honest, we are very, very, very me-centered people. What I mean by that is we tend to focus on ourselves. We tend to look at what are our needs, what are our wants, and we do so in a way that we don't really care or look towards other people's needs. If we're going to be honest about it. First and foremost, we, we think about us, and I think for a lot of us, we stop there, and it's just about me and mine. Paul views himself in our text, one, he views himself in the category of people who have a strong conscience, which I think is actually fascinating. Remember, as we've been journeying through, we've seen that there are two different categories of people, those who have weak conscience and those that have strong conscience. He says in verse 1, we who are strong, he says, have an obligation, have a duty. We ought to bear with the failings of the weak in faith, those who have weak conscience. To be clear, the strong here in this text is not meant to look at somebody as superior or or arrogant or, or, or above anyone or anything like that. It's talking about those who have a strong conscience, and there is a duty that they should build up those that may have a weak conscience or those who are weak in, in faith. One thing about Paul that I like is elsewhere in Scripture, he talks about this idea of helping people grow. And if you know anything about me, you've heard me say this phrase often. I want to help people grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And I think Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, where Paul literally says, in him we proclaim... And he wants to present everybody mature in Christ. So I think this is Paul's heartbeat, and he has this heartbeat because he looks at it as a duty, as an obligation that you should build up people. The question is, well, how to build them up? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, one way from our text we can say is to bear with them. How to bear with those in their failings. If I could just say, this is hard. Amen? It's hard to bear with people that you think are wrong. It's hard to bear with people that you not only think is wrong, you know they're wrong. So how can we actually do this? Well, one... It takes an immense dosage of the Holy Spirit. Because we can't do it in ourselves. We can't do it alone. We need all the help we can get. Amen? We need all the help that we can get. This is not easy. But he does give us the answer in verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him or 
or her up. That neighbor language, Paul talks about this elsewhere in Romans as we've been journeying through. He talks about this idea of neighbor, and now he uses the term neighbor specifically to the Jews and Gentiles in the church of Rome. He calls them neighbors. And we should be looking out for the good, for the benefit, for the comfort, for the love, for the care of those that are in our body. Those that are different from us. Those who have weaker conscience. Not to please ourselves, but to please others. Loving our neighbors as ourselves. That phrase that continually gets repeated, repeated, repeated over and over again. Humility, looking out for the others. In our church, we call this being motivated by grace, giving people the benefit of the doubt, as difficult and hard and tiring (laughs) as it can be. Paul repeats this elsewhere, let each of you look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. He says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse Four. This is what humility looks like, and this is what caring for one another looks like in real time. The word bear here is similar to the same word in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, where he says, those who are spiritual bear one another's burdens. Some of us may read that and hear that and say, oh, no, I just need to put up with somebody. And Paul does not mean just that. He doesn't mean just tolerate them. He doesn't mean just coexist with them. He means there's an active engagement. There's an active pursuit in bearing one another's burdens. Many of us have many different burdens for various different reasons. If I was to take a survey and say, hey, what are all the burdens you have? I'm sure I will get bombarded with a lot. But that word for burden there is very interesting. When you think of um, going to a funeral, there are what they call pallbearers that hold the casket and take the casket and put it in the hearse. And then from the hearse onto the burial site. Uh, Typically, there's about six of the pallbearers that literally carry the dead weight of the person that is in the casket. Uh, It's a a heaviness. There's a a burden. There's There's a carrying, a lifting up of some sort that can be challenging and difficult. This is what Paul is communicating, this idea of of bearing one another's burdens, the load that is too heavy. But with the community of people, we can all do this together. Group lift, if you will, right? It should be noted, too, that when you think of a pallbearer, it's an honor to be chosen and be a pallbearer. But it's also an honor for us as we bear one another's burdens, as we bear with each other in our, in our failings, not to please ourselves, but to please, but to please others. 
There's many ways that I think this can, can look like and what this can mean. And in time, we will have to bear one another's burdens. There will be trials, there will be tribulations, there will be difficulty, there will be challenge in our Christian lives, in our Christian journeys, where we will have to bear one another's burdens. Y'all know that my wife is, is married. Oh, excuse me. Well, yes. She is married. Uh, I meant to say that she's pregnant. And <laughs> she is married to me. If there's any confusion on that. But I was talking to somebody and was talk, talk, I was talking to him, and he's, I was telling him about the pregnancy, this, that, and forth, and he was like, man, she's 30 weeks. He goes, you must have a lot of patience. And I was like, well, I mean, I think so. <laughs> I heard that once children come, you, you got to have more patience. But this idea of bearing with one another is this idea of, of being patient with somebody. And I struggle with that, just being honest. I think many of us struggle with this idea of patience, right? But this is accompanied with bearing with one, with one another. We can look to Jesus because ultimately he is the perfect model of pleasing and serving others rather than himself. By the way, Jesus is the perfect model in everything. You can look at him to, to, to anything, any area of life, anything of that nature, and he's the perfect example. He's the perfect model. We, we, when we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, there are so many things that I believe that we can learn. In verses 3 and 4, Paul gives this, this reason of why Jesus is the perfect model. What's interesting about this verse is Paul uses an Old Testament passage in the Psalms, which is a lament psalm. And y'all have heard me say that the Psalms are about 40% laments. These are holy complaints. These are people crying out to God to act and to deliver them because they need God's help. Save me, O God. Rescue me, O God. How long, O Lord? These are psalms of lament. And Paul quotes Psalm 69, verse 9, which is a very fascinating verse to quote in the context of showing how we should be unselfish, how we should please others. And he does this to prove that Christ did not please himself. Verse 3, for Christ did not please himself, but it has written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on, on me. Now, the context is suffering. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of stuff going on where David eventually calls upon the name of the Lord. He calls upon God to deliver him in the midst of challenge. But the you in Psalm 69 refers to God. And the me refers to, to David. 
So why use Psalm 69 verse 9 to prove this point of unselfishness? Because the you talks about God, not directly Christ. Why didn't Paul just use a different scripture to prove his point? Well, one, I would say that Paul is doing so and he's showing the attitude of the psalmist is compatible with the attitude of Jesus. The posture of David is in accordance with the posture of Jesus Christ. And I would say to take it a step further, he's interpreting this verse, what we would call Christologically. Uh, Christologically basically just means, it's this idea of just saying that when we look at different scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, we can look back and say, oh, this is a Christ-centered view. This is a Christ-centered way of interpreting this verse. On the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, Jesus himself actually says this. He says, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms (laughs) was written about me. So we can look at the Old Testament, at least some passages in the Old Testament, and say, ah, this is where Christ is introduced. This is where Christ is is mentioned. We have more revelation than some of the people back then, so we can look back and say this. And I think with this particular psalm, this is what Paul is doing himself. He sees David in one sense as a as a type of of Christ and presented as a righteous sufferer, someone who righteously suffers. This passage shows that the psalmist did not please himself, and his words reveal his heart posture to not be selfish. One commentator says it this way, this unselfish willingness to suffer in defense of someone else should characterize the relationships between the weak and the strong in Rome, and particularly of the relationship that they should have with one another, those who have a strong conscience and those who have a weak conscience. It should be noted that it should be a legitimate issue. Remember this. We talked about this as well. There should be a a legitimate issue, and the legitimate issue Basically, if somebody stumbles, so if there's a particular topic, a particular issue, a particular whatever it is, if it causes them to stumble, if it causes them to sin, if it causes them to be in that state, then that's how you know something is a legitimate issue and where we can bear with one another. We have a tendency to please ourselves in so many different areas and so many different ways, particularly in church life. So a question I would ask is this. In what ways, going back to the idea of thinking about other people's perspectives, other people's thoughts, in what ways have you chosen to suffer on behalf of someone else? In what ways have you chosen to suffer on behalf of someone else? In what ways have you acted unselfishly for the benefit of somebody else? 
and what ways have you been motivated by grace to benefit somebody else? And again, we can put this in the context of disputable matters. Alcohol that we mentioned, politics, who you vote for, can you practice yoga or not? I remember the list of things that I, that I talked about. In what ways have you suffered for the benefit of another? Do you put yourself in a strong conscience category or would you consider yourself in a weak conscience category? As we live this out, as we think about this, and as we think about the example of Christ, a couple of things for us to understand, for us to know, and Paul tells us, remember, nothing in and of itself is unclean. Nothing in and of itself is unclean, but how someone thinks about something can make something unclean for them, <laughs> which is a weird way that Paul says that particular phrase. In what ways have you built up somebody that may have a weaker conscience? One practical thing that I think that can help us do this is meeting one-on-one. -on -one. I talked about face-to-face -face conversations. Meeting one-on-one, -on -one, this kind of continue, continuation of that. So, one time in my particular life, um, I had an individual who had an issue with, with alcohol. And as soon as we said, hey, I want to get together and, and um, talk just to grab some lunch and stuff, came out immediately and said, just so you know, I don't drink. And I'm like, okay, no problem. Like, but by him saying that, I knew something was going on and you needed to do some more digging and some more investigating because typically when you go out to lunch with somebody, they don't just come out and just say that automatically, typically. So having this one-on-one -on -one conversation with this individual, I was able to discover and realize that there is some background with his family and how he views alcohol. So instead of me coming out just saying, hey, alcohol is not unclean. You can have a drink if you want to. And pressuring someone to do so or trying to make him see it from my point of view is important to just listen first and have the one-on-one -on -one conversation to see where people are coming from. And you would probably discover that maybe some people are coming from it from, from some issues and why, they, why that be the case. And maybe you'll discover that some people may not be. They could just be immature in, in, in their thinking on a particular issue. So from that standpoint, I, don't drink, I didn't drink around that individual. I didn't drink alcohol around that, around that per person because I knew that it was a sensitive topic, sensitive subject, and it would potentially cause him to, 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 to stumble, right? Now, that's maybe a little more easier, a little bit more clear-cut in that situation. But what about voting? 
What about voting for a particular party? And one of the areas that I didn't do so well in is in this arena. I think many of us could probably fit into this category. Primarily because there was no humility, there's no list, there was no listening, and then from there it just begets into a shouting match. And now it's not helpful at all. That is not the example uh, of Christ, right? In fact, it is the example <laughs> of the flesh that rises within us. That tends to not be good. That tends to not be helpful. That tends to not be motivated by grace. It doesn't mean that people are going to change their positions, but it does mean and matter how we approach and how we interact and how we talk with people on disputed matters. Amen? It matters. So, what ways have you suffered and chosen to suffer on behalf of, uh, of someone else when you're dealing with a, a disputed matter? I would say you got to have one-on-one -on -one conversations. Another thing I would say is there's an a place and there's a, there's a, there's a uh, space for not only one-on-one -on -one conversations, but also community conversations. For those that may participate in uh, a community group, for those that um, there's, a, there's been events that we've had here at this church, particularly around election season, there's a, there's a space for us to have community listening and communi community dialogue around certain issues and certain topics. That, I will say, I remember the first time we decided to, to do that, um, we had a little uh, a panel discussion that Pastor Ramon moderated. We had one person that gave the reasons why somebody could vote Democrat, and then we had another person that gave the reasons why they could vote Republican. And I remember when we were praying and thinking through the, the idea, I was like, oh, this could be really bad or this could be really good. Now, praise God, thankfully, it was really good because one of the posture and the approach that the people that we had that gave their reasons, but they also listened in community along with each other. And to be fair, there were good points on both sides. Yes, I said that. There were good points on both sides. But again, I believe that that is another example uh, of Christ, of being able to deal with and practically walk through practical, uh, practically walk through disputed matters. So one-on-one -on -one conversations, also community conversations is how, is how we can do that. Again, as I mentioned all of this, when we think about this, Christ is the perfect example in all areas of life. In Matthew 8, 17, it tells us that this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. There's other scriptures that talk about that. He says, come to me, those who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
ultimately, when we think about the burdens that we have, the failings that we have, the consciences that we have, Christ is the perfect embodiment and the perfect example of the one that in our place took our shame, took our guilt, took our pride, and on the cross, it was nailed. And at the cross, there's forgiveness. At the cross, there is healing. At the cross, there is love. At the cross, there is justice. At the cross, there is peace. And for anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord and repents and trusts in him, they can have eternal life. So as we come to a close on Romans 15, 1 through 4, as we think about this, it's important that we don't lose sight of that and that we don't forget that, that Christ is the one who took our penalty and he took our burden at the cross. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, we can, we can be saved. So when we think about building one another up, I want to challenge us and encourage us to do that more and more because it helps, um, it helps us be a, a church family that really love and care for each other. Christ is the perfect model at building one another up. And, it should, and as a church family, we should demonstrate this as well, especially whether you have a strong or weak conscience as we gather together.